In 2016, Politico magazine named High Tide on Main Street as one of the 50 most important books to read. Now, in March 2019, international sea level rise expert John Englander shares current thoughts about his upcoming trip to Greenland and why it is so important that all nations carefully monitor melting glaciers. In this interview with Climate Monitor, Mr. Englander vividly describes the velocity of change and how just a few feet of swelling ocean waters will have huge impacts on coastal regions. He also explains how you can participate in his next adventure in Greenland. John, you've got a trip arranged uh, that you're planning for Greenland. I read in your book that Greenland's ice sheet is covering approximately 80% of the island. It seems so huge. What are the benefits of actually going to and seeing the Greenland ice sheet as opposed to just reading about it or seeing it on TV? Well, of course, TV can be great or seeing things in movie theaters, but there's nothing like seeing things in um, in person. It's just like the first time somebody's gone out on a boat out of sight of land or uh, been out in the wilderness and the mountains. Uh, they all We all know that those experiences are quite different than, than watching it in, on television. And uh, Greenland is immense. It's 1,600 miles north south and 1,000 miles east-west, and it is covered by 80% ice and glaciers. And the size of the glaciers never fails to just kind of stun people and then to see and understand the rate at which they're melting. The, the rate at which they're melting, the velocity, I'm assuming, has gone up since you first wrote your book? Oh, absolutely. It's been going up, uh, doubling, tripling, and even quadrupling in the last uh, decade or so, uh, some of the big glaciers, um, the ones that we're going to visit. So uh, it's, it's actually, there's good evidence of it, and the people who've lived there for generations can put it into context that what's happening now has not happened for centuries. I noticed in your book also that you were there in 2007. You organized a five-day fact-finding trip to Greenland uh, with the International Seakeeper Society. Can you tell us a little bit about that trip? Sure. In fact, that was my first trip to Greenland. I'd been to the Arctic several times before and into Antarctica, but never been to Greenland. And it was the first night in Greenland that kind of the uh, the idea for my book uh, came to me. So it was a very pivotal moment. Um, I've been back there five times since, leading expeditions with um, military leaders and the head of the Coast Guard and senators. And it's uh, every time it's... Um, there was kind of surprises, but mostly in the sense of how much the melting has progressed. So it's been interesting to, to see it now for 12 years. In July of 2012, you wrote that scientists were alarmed to find that nearly all of Greenland was melting. First, I want to ask you to clarify for us, please, the difference between an ice sheet and a glacier. Thanks, actually. So the ice sheet, in the simplest terms, covers the island. And again, it's kind of the size of the eastern United States. It's hard to imagine the size. And it's more than a mile tall or thick. The, uh, the glaciers are these slowly moving rivers of ice that are within the ice sheet. Uh, they're actually where the ice sheet drains to the ocean. And when the, when the glaciers get to the edge, uh, to, to the water, they break off or they calve into icebergs, as we all kind of probably visualized. And then there's the meltwater. There's kind of turning into streams and small rivers now of meltwater. So the ice sheet 
there's essentially one on top of Greenland, and there's about 200 glaciers that have been documented and monitored, and they break off into icebergs. In July of 2012, when you went there, you, you said that scientists were alarmed to find that nearly all of Greenland was melting uh, during the melting season. Is there an actual season, or is it now more year-round? It's very much year-round now. Um, of course, it used to be mostly in the summertime, but the Arctic's warming at double the global rate of warming, and so the Arctic is now several degrees warmer, and it's, uh, it's where we see melting the fastest on the planet. The, um, the melt rates are unknown within the, even uh, uh, the, the geologic record at this point of, of hundreds of thousands of years. It's, it's beyond the projections. Is the melting reaching higher elevations? Because when you first wrote your book, apparently it was the lower elevation. Correct. Well, you, know, you know, just like up in the mountains, in anywhere in the world, you get to cooler temperatures. And it used to be that the higher elevations were not melting. And now the melting um, is happening more or less year-round and uh, almost at all elevations. In fact, in the summertime, it's, it's happening at all elevations. Yeah, it's it's hard. Every year is changing, so it's a uh, it is not I wouldn't say urgent, but it's uh, the sooner we get a sense of what's happening in Greenland, the better, because it needs to urge us to do two things. As I always remind people, one is to slow the warming by reducing greenhouse gases and all the things that's, which uh, are accelerating the warming of the planet, and then two is because we can no longer stop Greenland from melting totally we need to begin adapting to sea level rise. Okay, so let me ask you this. Uh, the thickness, it's hard to imagine when you read a book or even see it on TV as to the scale of the thickness of the ice. What are we talking about in Greenland? Well, Greenland's uh, a mile or two, so roughly 10,000 feet tall uh, ice sheet, and it tapers down as the glaciers come toward the water. But we're going to go out on the ice sheet by helicopter. Um, it's... Uh, you, you get to a point where you're not in the quite in the middle of the ice sheet because again that would be 500 miles into it. But you, there's ice as far as the eye can see, not only from being on the ice sheet, but even from the helicopter. Um, and yet there's these melt growing meltwater streams and ponds of meltwater on top of the ice sheet. Actually, and back to your other question about is it melting year round? One of the stunning things I learned in my trip last April was that the power plant for this uh, significant town of Ilulisat, where we kind of base for this this expeditions, they pointed out to the old power plant, which is now shut down. And I asked why, and they said, well, that used to be a diesel generator. And I asked, well, how are you making your power now? And they said, well, we're using hydroelectric. And I thought, you're, you're getting enough meltwater off the glaciers year-round, even in wintertime, to reliably make the power for the town? And the answer was yes. So that's, so that's quite a statement. That's quite, that's quite new then. In other words, in the old days, uh, they would never have thought of powering their town that way. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Even 10 years ago, there was, I mean, everything was frozen in the wintertime. I mean, it was starting to change. But now it's to the point where there's enough, of, uh, there's a reliable enough meltwater stream in the same place that they can actually design it to just like a dam, we would design a dam in a hydroelectric plant, uh, to, you know, to take advantage of the flowing water out of a dam. But here they've got enough melt water year-round in the middle of winter in the Arctic when there's no sunshine even 
this is above the Arctic Circle, that they can produce their electricity that way. I mean, that's quite a statement about the this, this stage of melting we're at. When, when you started going there compared to now, uh, each of the trips that you've taken, well, let me ask you this, how many have there been? Uh, this would be my sixth trip to Greenland. Do you see changes every single trip? Absolutely. In fact, it's, it's remarkable. They're very obvious the, with the extent of the ice sheet, with the, the, side, the, the icebergs actually in many cases are getting bigger, but the shape of the glaciers, um, you know, it's very, it's remarkable. That changes for times of the year, but I've been there pretty much in all seasons now. It must be strikingly beautiful, but let me ask you this. Is, is this all fresh water that's running away, running down? Yeah, the, 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 the ice sheet and glaciers are essentially fresh water. They come from compacted snowfall. So, yes, it is fresh water. Um, Greenland, there's one glacier that we go to, uh, Jakobshavn, or also known as Kangia, in, in this town of Alulasat. And the water that it puts out every year into the ocean is equivalent to what the United States uses in a year. It's, That's incredible. It's a, if Greenland were to melt completely, how much of sea level rise would be the contribution? Sure. If the entire ice sheet on Greenland melts, sea level globally will rise about 24 feet, about 7 or 8 meters. But you're not predicting this to occur in this century, is that correct? No, I don't think there's any reasonable person who can say that it could even possibly happen in this century. The question is whether it takes 300 years or 3,000 years, we can, we can debate, and to some degree that largely depends on how warmly we let the planet get. But no, even if we get a foot or two from Greenland uh, this century, that would be, of course, kind of disastrous. So uh, it warrants you know, constant monitoring, and it is changing, again, year by year. So you got the idea for this book on your first trip to Greenland. I think you just told us a few minutes ago. And, and in that book, you, you, uh, you projected a storm like Sandy. Tell us a little bit about the timing of that. Sure. It was pretty surprising even to me. Um, and, and I did get the idea for my book my very first night in Greenland, as I described in the preface, kind of as an epiphany. Um, but the bizarre timing with Sandy was in October 2012, the book was finally published on October 22nd, a Monday morning. And a day or so later, we all became aware of this storm that was heading toward Florida and then never uh, was projected to hit the northeastern United States, particularly New York City. And we all watched that develop during the week. And by the 29th, when it actually hit New York and kind of flooded Manhattan, it suddenly dawned on me that I described a superstorm hitting Atlantic City in New York virtually the exact scenario, and my book was published a week before it happened, which was pretty eerie. So you're on the second edition now of High Tide on Main Street, Rising Sea Level and the Coming Coastal Crisis? That, yes, the second edition is out, absolutely. Thank you. That the, uh, I see that the foreword was written by Jean-Michel Cousteau. You used to work with the Cousteau group, is that correct? That's right. It's actually Jean-Michel Cousteau, uh, right. and that would be the... Uh, the eldest son of Jacques Cousteau, who I, I did work with briefly. And, um, yeah, he was, uh, it was nice to have him write the introduction. And uh, in the second edition, as you may have seen, uh, former Governor Christine Todd Whitman uh, wrote um, the, the introduction to the second edition as well. So is the third edition coming out, or you have something else in the works? 
I have another book in the works, and I think because of that, I probably won't do a third edition of the, of that book. Um, the new book should be out this year. It's called Moving Tire Ground, and um, it'll kind of update the science, but focus a lot more on what do we do about the problem rather than just the science. The, the trip itself, when is it planned for? The trip is September 8th to 15th, 2019. It's, um, we're doing it through the International Sea Level Institute, this nonprofit organization we formed as a global center for information on this. Um, people make a donation to the institute. It requires a $20,000 donation, so it's for major donors, but we certainly welcome people to join. And uh, it covers everything. The costs, uh, we meet in Reykjavik, Iceland, we, the flights to Greenland, the hotels, meals, helicopter trips, boat trips, uh, all the elements of this exclusive uh, fact-finding expedition. And how long is the trip planned for? It'll be one week, the 8th to the 15th um, in, in September of 2019. So how many locations in Greenland are you anticipating visiting? Well, we'll, we'll base during the four nights in Greenland in this town of Ilulisat, uh, which is quite well known. It's, it, Ilulisat means iceberg in, in the Greenland, Greenlandic language uh, because of the, that's the most prominent place to see icebergs on the island. Uh, and it's hard to think of Greenland as an island. It is the world's largest island. Uh, technically, Australia would be a continent and Antarctica would be a continent, but uh, Greenland is just so huge, again, the size of the eastern United States. Um, we uh, will base there for all four nights and then each day take a day excursion by boat or by helicopter uh, out from that town. Where do people get more information about this upcoming trip? It sounds very exciting. I'd love to go myself, but I don't think that's going to happen. I'd love to see you take some great pictures and share it on Climate Monitor, but where can they get more information about the trip? If anybody's interested, they can just send me an email at greenland at johnenglander.net. johnenglander.net is my website, as you know, and I've set up a special email address for those interested, just greenland at johnenglander.net couple more questions, John. You do speaking, as I understand it, you do speaking pretty much all around the world. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's probably a few continents I haven't hit yet, but I, I regularly, I was, in the last 30 days, I've spoken in London, England, in New London, Connecticut, at the Coast Guard Academy, in Puerto Rico, in Washington, D.C., and um, um, somewhere else that's just escaping me at the moment, but yes. So you've seen, you've seen the devastation in Puerto Rico recently, then. Uh, and, and with the effects of perhaps uh, an increased intensity of the hurricane uh, because of climate change. Absolutely. I was there two, less than two weeks ago, and it was a conference about lessons learned from the rebuilding after Hurricane Maria, which was a year and a half ago in September uh, 2017. And uh, they're doing pretty well with the recovery, uh, but it was a devastating blow. And, of course, they had two, they had two hits of major hurricanes that year. And um, the lesson, you know, certainly sunk in that weather is getting more extreme and, and even past hurricane patterns uh, don't prepare us for future ones. And the island is being quite resilient and trying to uh, um, not only recover, but to prepare for uh, things to come in the future. And it was a, a, a really interesting for me, and I learned a lot, but um, uh, just opened kind of the discussion, I'm probably going to go back there in a month to kind of carry the discussion forward with them about how they can prepare for not only past 
hurricanes, which might happen in the future, but how to crank in consideration for rising sea level. Sounds like everywhere you go, you're learning new things. Is this something that uh, is an evolving science, the understanding of sea level rise, or we know just about everything there is to know? No, it's certainly evolving. Nobody would have predicted that the uh, that Greenland would have been melting at quite this rate, and uh, and that Antarctica would have just started melting too. Uh, Antarctica was uh, kind of lagging behind Greenland for several reasons, but it, particularly in this in the last couple of months here in 2019, even Antarctica now is uh, is showing some ominous signs of warming and the glaciers uh, and ice sheets changing. So. It's definitely a changing science. The, uh, we're limited in our ability to say exactly how much sea level rise we'll get in the latter half of this century. Um, it's an exponential growth, and we need to just stay informed, um, get educated, and educate others, because people have trouble believing that sea level will be several feet higher, but it will be. And we need to start taking it seriously. You make presentations to government officials. Uh, is that correct? I have, sure. Often military, uh, intelligence agencies, Coast Guard, yes. Is the message that you're delivering being received well? Uh, I would say generally, yes. I, I don't tend to talk to the political leadership, uh, which is where it gets, you know, uh, uh, I think um, more, uh, cons- uh, uh, what do I say, Sens- you know, sensitive and partisan, obviously. Um, I think the uh, the people working in agencies and uh, the engineers uh, may not be fully aware, but when I lay out the case, I've I've never found anybody pushing back. In fact, they uh, it tends to open their eyes and they tend to ask for more information. So I would I, I have no complaint with the uh, the level of uh, concern by the, the people in the agencies. So I'm, I'm assuming that with the increased public attention on climate change and sea level rise, you're going to have a lot more places to go visit and speak. So I'm looking forward to watching you as you advance even further into this career. Tell us one more time about how they can reach you, how people can reach you about this trip, and and, uh, and try to sign up and, and go with you. Thanks. So they can find me on media such as LinkedIn, but my own website is johnenglander.net. Uh, and if they go there, they can certainly go through the contact form, or they can simply send an email to a, a special address that I set up, Greenland, one word, at johnenglander.net. And if they'll just send me an email, I'll send them a, a PDF brochure and a short video and answer any questions they have. All right. Well, John Englander, thank you very, very much. Really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you, and have a great trip. Thanks, Mitch. Always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm Mitch Chester. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We really appreciate the support we've gotten for the Climate Monitor podcast. And if you really would like to help out, if you're not already a supporter, then to make this show possible and to help us grow, please tap the link in this episode's description or visit anchor.fm slash climate monitor to become a monthly supporter.